Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to Black Teacher Matters, the podcast about what matters to black teachers. Here's your host, Abdel Shakur. Black Teacher Matters is back again, y'all. I saw the first flakes of snow outside my window this week, but that has not kept me from thinking about how I be in the classroom. Specifically, how I be when a bee comes in the classroom and makes me switch from my plan A to my plan B. Sometimes this bee is an insect, sometimes it's a student, sometimes it's a parent, sometimes it's Mr. Shakur himself. It's an uncontrollable thing, a wild thing that demands your immediate attention. So today I got a real treat for you because I talked to one of the wisest teachers I've ever met, my colleague, my homie, Janae McAlpin, about the black teachers who made her the fantastic educator she is today. And we definitely going to talk about some bees. But before all that, I got a story to tell. Thank you for listening to Black Teacher Battles. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. It's hard to imagine having a bee in the classroom during Zoom teaching. But on January 6, 2021, a red swarm of Capitol rioters took over my class. It was simply a news story in my morning. But as the day progressed... We were all stuck refreshing our browsers to see more and more images of white supremacists scaling walls, brutalizing the Capitol Police, battering in Congress's door. I tried to stay upbeat, but a part of me wondered, is this it? Are these fools actually really going to figure out how to take over this country? Like take over the country that they already own? What am I supposed to say to these children? Later. I got an email from Joanne, a sophomore in my English class. Hey, Mr. Shakur, this is more of a personal email, but I wanted to ask, what is going on? I know what happened, but seeing how these police responded to these domestic terrorists compared to how they reacted to us last summer, what is going on? How should I react? I'm angry, I'm hurt, I'm confused. But most of all, a part of me is jealous. Jealous of how they get to be so vile, racist, and violent, only to be called special by the president. I spent the whole day gathering my thoughts, but when I think about all these questions, my emotions just splatter all over the place again. Best, Joanne. I looked at that email for a long time. I couldn't answer any of her questions. I couldn't even answer any of my own questions. My class had already spent so much time processing trauma from the shooting of Jacob Blake to presidential election insanity to the loss of students I'd taught and co-workers I'd respected to the COVID pandemic and its painful isolation. A white riot just seemed like another tide in a terrible flood. Now talking was helpful, but after a while that was too much. I had a student say he was tired of thinking about oppression. He wanted to do something about it. I felt the same, but I was almost burned out. And as a black man, I was hurt and I was losing faith. But the more I thought about it, I realized I had misread Joanne's email. She wasn't asking me for all the answers. She wasn't pleading for me to make it all better. She didn't need me to refer her to a counselor. She didn't need me to do more for her. She simply wanted a space. 
a space for her to work for justice, a space to cultivate collective healing. Joanne didn't need help processing her reality. She needed help shifting the process of power that shaped it. My first step on that path was to meet every student one-on-one, all of them. I got them to turn their cameras on, and I saw so much beautiful hair. I shared how I saw them contributing to our class and asked what they needed from us. Next, I doubled down on class roles. According to the Democratic Classroom Framework, each student should choose a role they'll play in class. Take attendance, track birthdays, tell me if someone got kicked out the Zoom. Whatever it is, everybody makes a contribution. Now, Zoom is an autocrat's dream because it's so easy for one person to run everything. But as students posted helpful links or made breakout groups or encouraged class after a long session, I saw a shift. I knew I was on to something when a girl who had been silent all year, a girl who had never, ever, ever, ever showed her face, asked the class if they understood the day's lesson, if anyone had any questions, if we could proceed together. I hope it's not silly to say I almost cried when she finally played her part, when our class finally heard her voice. Next, I started weekly class leadership meetings. Students told me what worked in class and what didn't, but they also made their own projects. My new mantra was, wow, what a great idea. What do you need to do to make that happen? Gabe and Tajay said students were grades were slipping, so they designed a group check-in activity. Eric thought the opening of class was boring, so he planned our warm-ups and talked people up in the morning. Sabin wanted deeper text discussions in class, so she taught a lesson on Ross Gay's Book of Delights. Joanne started pen pals in class to get people more connected. Honestly, I was skeptical, but later two girls said the project had healed a painful conflict from middle school. These students led the learning and contributed to our community, and I wasn't doing more work. It was just different work. It felt more like coaching leaders than teaching students. And that was healing for all of us. The big idea is my class is perfect and everyone should be jealous. No, that's certainly not true. I struggled mightily that year. I struggled mightily this year. And there's so much content that was not covered. It was messy, but at our best, class centered on the leadership of students, particularly as students of color, like we never had before. And to me, that was worth it. To be very clear, this is not just about fun class exercises or SEL tips to spice up your pedagogy. True healing throws off the yoke of oppression, and that's political. It makes back straight, mind sharp, and heart strong. True healing bends the arc of the moral universe towards justice. And for oppressors, that's frightening. That fear made them burn Black Wall Street, but they couldn't destroy what it represented. If real repair will be possible for our children, for ourselves, we will have to share the real tools, the real power that can bridge the wound. And that will be healing. Real B comes in your class, flying around. Everybody can hear it. Mm -hmm. What do you do? 
um, I probably stop everything and kill it. <laughs> like, what's your implement? Like, is it anything nearby? You taking off your shoe? What, what well, you it depends on what's close by. We got those big old history textbooks. Those are great at killing bees. I always got my Crocs on so I can real quick with a Croc. You know, I just, you know, so many students that are allergic to bees. So when a bee come in, it's like, where is it, y'all? You know, and I go get it. I go get it. And then, of course, it's always like somebody in the class is like, no, let's just let it fly out the window. It shouldn't have came in here in the first place. You know, <laughs> tell your friends. Ugh, I can't, you can't tell your friends. <laughs> Janae McAlpin is one of those rare, unjaded vets. An educator who keeps it real but doesn't let the real get in the way of the vision or love she has for her students, her practice, her people. She was a mentor during my new teacher training at Evanston Township High School. And I also had the privilege of being her humanities teaching partner for two years. She currently serves as the director of equity at Evanston Township High School and is a lead facilitator for full circle leadership in their democratic classroom leadership program. And she shows a little more grace to those human bees when they show up in her class. Uh, you're smashing the bee. Mm -hmm. But if it's a human. In terms of like a person being the bee. I think about it like black church. Sometimes the preacher is preaching and you like, yeah. And then sometimes somebody in the audience has something that they need to say or get off their chest. And the preacher just like, oh, I, and they just evangelize and say whatever they want to say. They might do a Holy Ghost dance, you know, and you just, yeah. Because we needed that at that moment, right? That came out, for some reason, that came out at this moment. And I felt like we needed it. So yes, take the state. But then if it's something disrespectful, you know, you always want to protect the kids in your class. You want to protect yourself. You want to, you know, that's part of our job. So if it's somebody on some BS, then you, you got to smash that. Well, I mean, because the... the uh... I'm really interested in your church analogy because it is like a there's a little bit of mystery about why we're here at this moment. Mm -hmm. You know, when you enter that space, hopefully it's a space where, like you said, it's open enough that somebody can be like, actually, <laughs> actually, what we need to do is listen to me talk about this thing right now and testify. Yeah. And holding open a sense of mystery where we can kind of just hold a space for somebody to do what we didn't know they needed to do or we needed to do. Absolutely. First of all, like, uh, so you're from Chicago. Mm hmm And more specifically, you're from the West Side of Chicago. West Side. West Side. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit about, because, you know, we always talk about, like, you know, where you're from and some of the teachers that formed you. Like, what was going on in the West Side so it was really interesting growing up on the West Side because my mother, who was a teacher, uh, which is probably my first inspiration and probably biggest inspiration, 
we lived on the west side in the hood and she had enough money to leave but she said that she was not leaving her people she said this is where we live so we go this is where we at you know and i just thought that that was so wonderful and special because she didn't want to leave she was just so dedicated to black people that she was like no you know i'm staying here and i always admired that about her what's your mom's name cynthia cynthia ruth McAlpin. you know it was hard because we were in the hood it was a lot of fighting i fought all the time i was always in a fight and i was always the one like oh, I just want to be peaceful. I just want to be friends with everybody, you know? And I would still have to fight. And it was just like, oh my gosh, you know? So um, I definitely gained some toughness from the West Side. But what was interesting was that I was being bused to Lincoln Park for elementary school. And I also had a speech impediment. And so I was in Lincoln Park learning how to speak correct English and then going back to the hood and speaking my correct English. And so I got called a white girl. I got called, you know, Oreo and all this other stuff. And I'm like, wait, y'all told me I'm supposed to talk like this. Y'all told me I'm supposed to talk like this. What is it? You know? And so that was interesting. And then (laughs) I was in like ballet, classical ballet, tap dancing, gymnastics, all in white communities. Mm. And so I was kind of like a fly on the wall of white culture my whole life. And that really, I think, drove a lot of my mission, like my life mission. In what way? How does that drive you? So I'm all about black power with unity, right? So I'm all about Black people having their own stuff, our own everything. But I'm also down with unity with white folks, Latinx folks, Asian folks. But I want Black folks, us to have a strong sense of self while we are interacting with all these other people. And I feel like that's really directly related to me being in the hood and seeing all these black folks and being with them and communing and being friends and all that then going to these white areas and having some conflict but still a lot of people really taking me in and stuff like that and so i know that unity is the way and i also know that we got to be solid in that unity because once you start bringing people together if you're not set on who you are, you get lost. So that's kind of where I am. That's kind of my philosophy. And I feel like that's kind of where it came from. Because a lot of times I felt lost in those white areas. Hmm. You know, I remember my classical ballet teacher, by this time I was on point, and she would yell at me about sticking my butt in. Hmm. (laughs) Sorry, not going to happen. I can't do that, right? That's like impossible. And so being in places like that, or, you know, everybody calling me Ganny, you know, really, you can't say Janae. Really, you know, you can't, you can't say Janae. Uh, you know, so it was, 
you know, all those things that we teach, you know, making sure we know our students' names, making sure we know the underlying information about our students and what they're doing outside of school and like all that really impacted me. And having teachers that cared about that stuff really impacted me too. My first Black teacher was in third grade, Mr. Walker. He was a Black man, super tall. Like he had to play basketball or something. I mean, I know I was little at the time, but he was like super tall, you know. And I didn't really have, well, I didn't have a father in my life at all. And so this was like my first time coming in contact with like a Black male father figure like yeah I had my grandfather and my big cousins but this is like I see you every day you own me you know that kind of stuff and that was back in the day when you could pedal get the paddle on students mm -hmm. your, your parent had to sign a note mm -hmm. my mom was like yes, yes. <laughs> was that uh was that a was that a blanket signing or was it specific to him or was it like no, it was just, I don't know. He was the only one I ever saw with the paddle. Okay. I never saw anybody Interesting. else. And thankfully, he never had to use it on me, but I, I saw him use it on some people. And that was probably the most well-mannered class we, <laughs> we ever had. Like, just the threat of the paddle was like, hey, yes, whatever you need, Mr. Walker. Um, but he was, he was, uh, he was wonderful. He was wonderful. Um, and then eighth grade, I had Miss Brogsdale. She was also one of my favorites. And for our Black History Assembly, I suggested that we do the Black Panther Party because my mother was a Black Panther. And so um, we did the Black Panther Party for our um, our um, Black History Assembly for our class, you know, for the portion that we did. And we had on berets, we made like these little bullets that we had like, like with, with construction paper, everybody had on black, we recited the 10 point platform. Like, it was wonderful. And this was in Lincoln Park. This was in Lincoln Park. And so what was the demographics there? Um, it was majority white, but we had a lot of black and brown kids bust in from all over the city. Okay. So, so in, in that space, y'all was the Black Panther Party. We was the Black Panther Party. Wow. It was so good. The year before that, we did the Wiz for a play. It was it was great, and I think our principal was black too. Okay. I was gonna say, cause that's like a, that's an interesting, you know, as a black educator thinking about yourself in that, you know, a white space, white community, that's a pretty big lift to do a, like in front of the whole school and y'all got your belt. <laughs> and she was ready to ride with you off your idea. Rode, just rode. Like what y'all wanna do, that's what y'all wanna do. Okay, we doing it. You know, she was just, yeah, her and Miss West, I think, are my two favorite teachers ever, for sure. What do you What do you feel like they? What's the commonality with them? 
they were just real. Like they just had real conversations with you, you know, like, and that's my thing, like curriculum and all that. Yes, is important. But what they're going to really remember is the relationships that you had and the way that you treated them. Like, that's really what they're going to remember. Yes, they probably taught me, you know, a whole bunch of dates and stuff that I still might know, but I don't know that they taught me that, (laughs) you know, but I do know how they treated me. And I remember in eighth grade, Ms. Brogsdale gave me a necklace with the cowrie shell on it. And I just thought I was so special. I was like, yes. And then we took this panorama photo and you could have somebody be on one side and then run to the other side. So the the person is on both sides of the photo. Mm -hmm. And she chose me. (laughs) So I was on both sides of the picture. It was awesome. I was just like, yay, you know. So I remember that from like eighth grade. That's a that's a powerful thing to feel chosen. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and I knew I always wanted to be a teacher. Like I was one of those people from the jump. I want to be a teacher. Like just I never wanted to be anything else. And it might be because of my mother. Um she was also Miss Mac. She's the original Miss Mac. And she was like a little celebrity, you know, because we lived in the community um, where she was teaching. Mm-hmm. And so, Miss Mac, Miss Hey, Miss Mac, Hey, Miss Mac, Hey, Miss Mac. And I was like, dang, all these people know you. Why do all these, why all these people love you? Mm-hmm. You know, and I was, and, and every time I would meet somebody, yo mama, Miss Mac, oh, let me tell you what she did for me. And let me tell you this, and let me tell you that, you know? And I was like, man, I wanna do that. I wanna help people like that. I want people to know me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's kind of where it started as I grew up, it got kind of deeper than that. Um, but that was kind of the, the foundation mm-hmm. you know, of seeing my mother do it. Yeah, like a, there's a deep respect that hopefully you feel from mm-hmm. your community when you go out. Yeah. Did you ever see her teach? I never got to see her teach. She's since passed away. And it's funny because I remember being in her, she was a PE health teacher. And I remember being in her office while she was teaching. But I can't remember ever seeing her teach. And I've met her students and you know things like that but I've never actually seen her teach and my father was also a teacher at the same school oh really so yeah got teaching on both sides I see you are like true blood like you got (laughs) right I mean is there do do you is there a part of her that you feel like shows up in your your classroom yeah um I feel like so one thing that I know about her that still sticks with me is how she'll grill you, but you're going to get whatever you want. <laughs> you know, you know, you're going to get whatever, you're going to tell you how it is, you know, but she's going to give it to you, you know. And I feel like that's a lot of how I am. You know, I'm still going to hold you accountable. I'm still going to, you know, do all those things. 
Well, yeah, turn it in tomorrow. You know, don't let us have this conversation again. Type of thing, you know, and I think I got that from her. So you went to the high school? Uh Uh-huh, Lane Tech School of Champions. (laughs) 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 I love how y'all represent Chicago. Everybody's like, uh, yes, yeah, so you're in Lane Tech. Did you have any black teachers there? I did have some black teachers there. I had Mr. Kimmins, and Mr. Kimmins was the only teacher that would allow me into his honors class. And I was trying to take honors and AP history classes, but they wouldn't let me because of my overall GPA. So Mr. Kimmins gave me a shot and let me be in his honors ethnic studies class and so that was awesome so that's my one and only honors class and then I had Miss Walls who was my math teacher oh lord she helped me so much and it was funny because she used to ride the bus to work so all the kids would be on the bus and Miss Walls would be right here hey Miss Walls you on the bus what up you know I'm gonna see you later you know oh I had Mr. Saffold he was science he used to be Mr. World in like the 80s. So he's like, you know, them old, you know, swole dudes, but he was like an old swole dude. You know, he, he was bodybuilding in the 80s. But you know what? In high school, my most influential teacher was a white lady. Hmm. What was her name? Cynthia Smith, a white lady with red hair. And I was like, man, I just love red hair. And that's where it came from. Cynthia Smith. And she like, she was my English teacher. And she's one of the people that showed me that anybody can get through to black students, white students, Latinx students. It does not matter what your race is. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no excuse for you not being able to connect with these students because Cynthia Smith, she was on everybody. You know, she was tough, but she was so loving with it. I remember when I was uh, applying for the Golden Apple Scholarship. And I had said and wrote all these essays. And I was like, yeah, Miss Smith, look, I did all my essays. When she ripped the mugs up, I was like, she was like, no, not good enough. You can't even use these to start over. You're going to start completely over. And then she gave me like some tips of what to do and stuff. And I did it and ended up getting the scholarship. And I remember calling her because I was at home like sick or something that day when I found out I got the scholarship. And I called her classroom directly. And I told her she started crying in front of her class. Just, oh, yeah, I'm so proud of you, you know. And that was just, that was so beautiful. Like she, it was like she was in it with me. Is it usually like that's the the sense that someone is in it with you is that the a big part of it absolutely absolutely like yeah i'm struggling but you here with me yeah you ripped my stuff up but you here the whole time to help me put it back together how would you describe what you're trying to do in your own class i think that what i'm trying to do is you know that book why are all the black kids sitting together in the cafeteria I'm trying to dismantle that, right? Not in the sense that 
having affinity space is not a great thing. Of course, affinity space is wonderful. However, we need to get to a space of of unity and being able to connect with other people. Hmm. So one of the things I always preach is friendship. You know, um, I have a very diverse best friend group. And before I made that group of friends, there were just some communities. I mean, just speaking honestly, just some communities. I was just like, well, whatever. You know, okay, that happened to them, whatever. You know, but when I became friends with people in those communities and things in those communities happened, I was like, wait, hold up. Right. And it mattered to me because my friends are in those communities, you know? Um, and so I really lead with like trying to build friendship um, amongst all students. Cause you know, you know, students can be clicky, real clicky. And they might not even notice who their cliques are. So I really try to like bring that out in my teaching. Like we'll do this activity where um, it's called the bracelet activity where you um, write down, um, there's a list. Who's your doctor? Who are your best friends? Who is your dentist? Who uh, is your favorite family member? Who is just all, mm -hmm. all these questions about who the people are in your life mm -hmm. and then you look at the race of those people and each race corresponds to a color so you go and get that color <laughs> it's not like black people black but you know you know like might be yellow or you know something like that and then you look at your bracelet to see what the majority color is on your bracelet and then you're and then I then I talk about the perspectives that you're seeing life through right these colors are the perspectives that you're seeing um your life through and if there's only one color on this bracelet or the majority of it is one color then you need to understand that there are so many more ways of seeing things that you are not privy to because you don't have those people in your life so it's usually like and then you know it's funny because when they write the races down, they usually don't get it yet until they see the colors. And then they're like, oh, you know, so yeah, I like doing that activity. It really makes them, you know, think about right. who's in their well, life. It, it seems like, why. you know, because uh, we do share a class and it seems like that's one of the needles you're trying to thread in terms of making people aware of the way these kind of systems work on them on an individual level without getting into like you right. know a whole guilt shame or even just like there's a right answer or i have the i've got the right color uh <laughs> look at all my you know like to get it down to more of a personal level like it's not even like we're just whatever whatever you got is great and also how do we get more so that we can develop the kind of perspective that you're talking about. Right. Absolutely. Not about, you know, it's not about, oh, look at all my colors. It's about what's missing. Who's missing in my life? Are they in this classroom? Can we connect with them in some type of way? And because I was out so much this year, I feel like I didn't really get a chance to do 
a lot of the things that I would have normally done. But I'm ready for next yeah. year, though. I'm ready. This is part of the rejuvenation process. <laughs> well, not process. yet, but I, mean, I will not, be ready. <laughs> not going in there tomorrow. Right. <laughs> um, well, can you connect that <laughs> right. that idea about friendship and relationships to like your own teach? I mean, your own like being in school. Like, how does that connect to what you went through? To me, at each one of those times in my life, I had a friend who was possibly a different race than me holding me down. And for me, that helps me to see that like this unity thing can work if it's based on true friendship. Mm -hmm. That makes sense because uh, thinking about it, like who has your back? Like, because I, I remember a class this year, I, um, and in one of those classes we shared, I, and I had a student who really kind of was like, well, I'm not here to make friends with everyone. And I, you know, I'm just here to learn. And it, and uh, which was funny, because I was like, I actually don't need you to be friends with everybody. I just need you to know that you can rely on people. <laughs> you know, like, you don't have to hold hands, but you got to know that the people that are near you, if something's going on with you, they will have your back. And um, that's the essence of friendship, but it's also just right. essence of community in some ways, like that you matter to those people. You know? mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So how does, uh, so how would you describe democratic classrooms and how does this fit into this thing that you're saying about friendship and community? Democratic classroom to me is more of an ideology um, than a teaching philosophy, a change in your mindset in the sense that this is not your classroom, this is our classroom. And students have agency to create, to discuss, to make suggestions, to just be a part of every single part of what goes into a classroom and, and in hopes of them feeling connected to the space and then intrinsically wanting to do well in that space because that space belongs to them. And they had a hand in everything that happened in that space from the walls, to the text that you read, to everything. And I think that's kind of where Democratic Classroom is trying to go and the mindset we're trying to teach. How does that show up in my classroom? That's what I do. A lot of times there are things that we have to get through, but I'll say, hey, this is what we have to get through. How y'all want to get through it? Or I might have leeway to make up my curriculum and I might say, hey, what are some things you all never learned about that you want to learn about? What are you curious about? And then I know that my students don't have a grasp of all of history, right? So these are just things that they know off the top of their head. So it is my job to say, hey, what do y'all think about this? You ever heard of this? Or what do you think about that? You ever heard of that? You know, 
And I think that's part of the misconception with students having voice is that a lot of teachers feel like they don't have a voice when students have a voice. It's like, no, it's our classroom. You are still the professional. You are still the leader. You still have veto power. And of course, students don't always know what's best for them. But teachers don't always know what's best for students either. So really trying to find that balance between, you know, your professionalism as a teacher, but also making sure your students have a say-so in every part of what's going on is, is what I would say democratic classroom was. But what would you say? Because you, you were part of it too. Oh, gosh. Uh, well, yeah, I think when you say that, it makes me think of, the idea of power and authority and how, how so often we rely on the authority of, that's given to us by our institution as a teacher, as an adult, as a whatever, and how a lot of that authority a lot of times is, is, is rooted in some oppressions that we say we want to get rid of, but we're not willing to examine the, where our power and authority comes from. And the thing I really appreciate about, one of the things I really appreciate about a Democratic Classroom is it makes me own my actions and my authority because I'm the author of the action. I'm not putting it off on somebody else. I'm not saying that y'all making me do this or somebody else is making me do that. It's like, we're gonna come together and we're going to all kind of be the authors of our action and take responsibility for what we're doing. I'm the one who's supposed to be running. When they come in the room, are the kids safe? They gonna look at me, you know, are they learning what they're supposed to learn? It, you know. As a parent, I want to know that that adult in there is handling their business, but that doesn't mean that the power can't be shared and that that the authority in some ways can't be, people can't get more in touch with their own authority as a human being in this space, you know, I'm doing, I'm, I'm over here working on this because I want to do, you know, I'm taking responsibility, not because you told me to do it, but y'all, we came up with this together. So we're all kind of authorities in this, in this work that we're doing. I guess I'm also still discovering what that looks like. It just, I always feel like I'm just a draft away. And I think that's what teaching is. <laughs> it's always a draft away. Because it's always something you can change with even the perfect lesson. You can go back and be like, oh, well, next time, or you know what I mean? So that's one thing about teaching. We always growing, hopefully. Amen to growing. This episode of Black Teacher Matters is dedicated to our dearly departed cat, Sally Shakur. We have 15 beautiful years and we'll never forget you. Special thanks to my quality control coordinator, Candace Shakur, to the Shakur kids for being amazing, to Julia Sweet for leaving me a message to convince me to get back in this podcast game. That meant a lot, homie. To Christopher Fontana, my Mr. Miyagi of Democratic Classroom Leadership, your wise counsel and steadfast faith in the struggle inspires me to be the teacher leader my students need me to be. And thanks to you, dear listener. If you like what you heard, share this thing. Holla at me. Spread the word about what matters to black teachers. Next episode, we'll be talking to one of my favorite writers in the teaching game, Matthew Kay author of Not Light But Fire, How to Lead Meaningful Race Conversations in the Classroom. And I'll see you next time on Black Teacher Matters. Thanks for listening.